Get ready, Avalanche Territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mile High Hockey Podcast. This week's edition, I'm Mike Evans, and let's jump right into it. The big story surrounding the Avalanche is Nathan McKinnon. Out three weeks with a lower body injury. Man, this stinks. And what an uneven start to the season for McKinnon. First, missing a couple of games because of COVID protocols. Now out with the dreaded lower body injury. And this, once again, will test stress the Avalanche a little bit and and really put them in a position where you feel like they just have to sort of try to tread water for the next few weeks. And starting from a point where they're basically a 500 hockey team through the first 10 games of the season, isn't this season starting to feel like it's going to be the exact opposite of last year? Last year, they played the role of front runners. Last year, it was a wire-to-wire type job resulting in the President's Trophy. And coming with that, all the attention, the focus, the pressure of the bullseye, which, as we saw, they didn't handle that well. Maybe, and this is the optimist in me trying to look for the silver lining, maybe this is the way to try it this year. Maybe go at it a different way. Maybe have the first part of the season feeling like you're treading water feeling like you take two steps forward, one step back, that type of thing. And put yourself in a position where you are kind of lying in the weeds and add in the long, long layoff that you're going to have over the Olympic break. Maybe this this Avalanche team will be one of those teams that you'll be kind of like, oh, yeah, they're the Avs. They're like uh, fifth in the Western Conference. Oh, okay. And then you move on to something else. But that this Avalanche team will be peaking at exactly the right team, right time. After that Olympic break, everybody's back. Everybody's healthy. And that's when this team really takes off so that by the time the playoffs start, this is a team that's really ready to roll. Hey, that's just different way of looking at maybe how this regular season is shaping up as compared to last. McKinnon, McKinnon is is becoming one of the more fascinating sports figures on the Denver scene. And by that I mean this. He's in his ninth season. You think about that. You think about Nathan McKinnon, you think about how young he still is. He's only twenty six. He just turned twenty six. Yet you maybe need to be reminded, as I'm doing right now, this is his ninth season. And despite clearly having established himself over the last handful of seasons as being one of the top three to five players in in all of hockey, has he now gotten to the point where the pressure's on now? You're nine years into your career. What have you truly done to this point what have you delivered to avalanche fans and whether it's right or it's wrong it just is the way it is when you play for the avalanche when you're a supposed great player when you're the guy that everybody thinks will 
be the one to lead the Avalanche to another Stanley Cup. Remember, you are measured in the context and the standards that were set not long ago and still fresh in the minds of plenty of Avalanche fans of those great Avalanche teams led by Joe Sackick, led by Peter Forsberg and Patrick Waugh and Adam Foote and Rob Blake and Ray Bork. We have the luxury, and boy, it's it's a gift. I, I hope people feel that way, to have been able to watch great players, great teams, and carry that with us to the point like, we know what greatness looks like, right? I mean, we know it. We saw it. It was, it was obvious to us. We know what a great hockey team looks like. We know what great, great players look like. We know what it looks like when a great player comes through in the clutch. We know what it looks like when a great player elevates his play over the course of a playoff run to where he ends up winning the Consumite Trophy as the Avalanche carry the cup around. So those are the standards that Nathan McKinnon has to live up to. And he's getting to the point in his career, not totally there yet, but he is getting to that point, isn't he, where it's like, okay, when are you going to deliver? And listen, this isn't just me uh, creating something out of nothing. Uh, this is Nathan McKinnon who has who has said on more than one occasion, you know, I haven't I haven't done Jack yet. I I got I got a lot I have to prove. I haven't done anything yet, and that's what made the disappointment last year in losing to Vegas so so you know so raw was his his emotion afterwards saying you know I'm in year nine. I got to start doing more. We need to start doing more. The pressure's on me. The pressure's on us. So he acknowledges it. But for a guy that's trying to get his game on track, the team's trying to get their game on track. Now he has to deal with this setback out for the next few weeks. Now, the other thing about all this, how did the avalanche come through all of it? It shouldn't be a problem, right? Now, allow me to get a little bit snarky here in the, in the middle of this podcast. But a few years ago, when I was advocating for the idea of, hey, trade some of your prospects for young veterans. And that immediately led to a very heated debate on social media of people like, why do you want to trade young, can't-miss prospects out of this avalanche pipeline of prospects for aging veterans. And I was always like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not looking to trade for Francois Beauchemin or Jerome Ginla, guys who are clearly at the end, in their mid-30s or older. I was talking about young veterans, where you go after uh, uh, an Andre Burakovsky or uh, Jonas Donskoy. Veterans like that. Brandon Saad, uh, Devontae's. And fortunately... Joe Sackick saw it the same way I did, and he went out and made those kind of moves to sort of accelerate the timetable, the time frame, for when the Avalanche were going to arrive as real contenders. Now, again, as I go back a few years ago, when I was advocating for these kind of moves, I would get a lot of pushback to the idea that, hey, don't trade these young prospects the Avalanche are flush with young prospects. Uh, it may take until 2021 or 2022, but trust me, that's when this team will blossom. 
And my reaction was always like, are you kidding me? Why do we have to wait that long? <laughs> and, again, I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but luckily Joe Sackick looked at it a different way, and we've been able to enjoy really good hockey, top-flight hockey, contending hockey these last few years and didn't have to wait all those years for all those prospects to uh, to come do. And one thing we've learned, and this this happens a lot, this isn't just an avalanche thing. It happens across the NHL. It happens with all sports and all leagues. There tends to be a tendency on the part of the organization or the media that covers a team or the fan base of that team to overrate their prospects. So I guess I'm going to kind of throw it back at the pro prospect. Our pipeline is flush with young talent crowd out there listening and say, okay, let's see what you got now, right? Because if this organization is so chock full of of really good talent, young talent, now's the opportunity. Uh, Some veterans are out. Nathan McKinnon is out. Some other veterans have been dealing with injuries. Some of the uh, veterans that were so key to this team last year are playing elsewhere. In Saad, in Donskoy, uh, Taves has been hurt. So now it's a chance for some of these other prospects to to step up. Let's see what's there. Here's your chance. Here's your chance to, de- to deliver. And um, really kind of help the Avalanche not only just tread water, but maybe even flourish at a time where a lot of people are thinking all the best they can do is, is tread water. So there's that. You're listening to the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Evans. This is, uh, what, week three of our podcast. And and some of the other topics surrounding this team. It's funny. We brought this up last week when Adrian Dater, who's a Avalanche insider here with the fan, great coverage of the Avs, home and away with ColoradoHockeyNow.com. And we were talking about Jared Bednar. And is there a point where Jared Bednar starts to feel the seat get warm? And I and, and I know that for for many people the reaction is what 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 are you, what are you talking about what do you wh- how, how do you even arrive at that Evans what do you what are you doing what are you creating something out of nothing for you wedge driver but you know it maybe isn't the same as it once was but it's still a prevailing attitude out there that has always kind of surprised me and that is how quick or at least quicker is the NHL compared to other sports to fire coaches midseason, early season. You know, it seems like for a lot of sports, there's this almost unwritten rule. Hey, it's a 82-game season. You got to see at least, you know, 30, 35 games be played before you start making big changes. Baseball, hey, get get me to the all-star break before we start to make sweeping changes. Football, same thing. But hockey is a sport where it seems like, boy, they don't have a problem firing coaches early on in the season. A much quicker trigger finger. And trust me, uh, coaches as accomplished or even more accomplished than Jared Bednar have found themselves getting fired. And anytime you've been around coaching this team as long as Bednar has, you do wonder, is the message being heard? 
Is it stale in any way? I go back to the game that they lost to Vegas here in what in what was really a disappointing loss because the idea was, hey, this is the team that embarrassed you in the playoffs. Come out with a really good effort and said they, they lost that night. And I was struck by the reaction after the game in which players like Kale McCarr and Gabe Landeskog talked. And, you know, they weren't happy with the way the Avalanche played that day. But there was a sense of it's early, it's a long season. McCarr famously said, hey, we could win 74 in a row. A lot of don't worry, we'll be fine. Whereas Bednar came out and there was clear agitation. He was irritated with the way that they came out, with the way that they played. And what I heard there was a guy who realizes, hey, the pressure's on. Pressure's on me. We have to get back to the playoffs. We have to get past this second-round hurdle, or I may be the one that pays with my job. Because he understands the hockey culture. He knows that the, the coaches get... Are, and are made to be uh, more expendable than than other sports. And so that's that's kind of what I heard that night. And it, it one thing about the, the the firing of coaches in hockey that always has surprised me. I've covered sports for a long time, long time. I, I, I mean, I've been covering sports. I've been doing the talk show for a long time, but I, I started off as a, a radio reporter. And so I've been covering sports for 30 years. 30 years now. And the thing that has always struck me is that hockey players have earned, and I think it's deservedly earned, the reputation of being real stand-up guys. And there's not a lot of excuse-making. There's a lot of self-accountability. There's a lot of humility shown by hockey players. And I've covered them all. I've covered all the sports. And I'd agree with that. Uh, hockey players are the easiest to deal with. Hockey players are the best to talk to. And hockey players, to me, seem to buy into the idea of team, buy into the idea of self-responsibility, and buy into the idea of accountability to the point where if things aren't going well, yeah, I got to do more. Yeah, I'm not, I haven't been good enough. So it always kind of surprises me that a sport in which the players seem to hold themselves the most accountable is the sport where the coaches are fired quicker for not being able to reach the players and the idea that it's time for a change because the message has gotten stale. Why would the message get stale if the players are are so good at taking themselves and making themselves responsible, why do they need a, to have a coach to get them ready to go out there and play? It's just part of this sport that kind of surprises me because the way the the player is versus the way that teams seem to view uh, the expendability of the coaches, that just doesn't seem to match. I, 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 would, I would think that you'd see it more in other sports, but that's the way it is with hockey. So, hey, just a, a quick thought here. Anybody else, like, Feeling like th- this is like a, such a wasted month. Like the schedule makers have basically given the Avalanche off for the month of November, and is it kind of annoying <laughs> as a hockey fan? You know, with with hockey, you just you're you're accustomed to seeing your team play pretty much every other night. You know, you, you, 
this is this is weird. This early in the season, I can't recall a schedule that's laid out like this where the Avalanche play only 10 games in November. Contrast that with December, they'll play 16 games in December. And this month being quiet, December being packed. I mentioned the Olympic break. And I'm looking at the Avalanche schedule right now and it's it's Kind of jarring because you look at the Avs schedule. On Tuesday, February 1st, they'll be home to play Arizona. Their next game isn't until Friday, February 25th when they're home against Winnipeg. So they're off for the Olympic break between February 2nd and February 24th. Now, don't get me wrong. I love NHL players in the Olympics. Love it. And you talk about not being able to put the genie back in the bottle. You 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 just you can't have the Winter Olympics hockey just be played with amateurs. I know Miracle on Ice and all of that and Lake Placid and Jim Craig and Mike Ruzioni taking down the mighty Soviets. I get it. It was wonderful. It was the greatest sports story probably in the history of this country. Okay? Certainly the the best, most memorable event I've ever seen. But that was then. And that was now. And having had a chance to to watch NHL players in the Olympics and 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 watching how much they enjoy it, how much they enjoy playing for their country, and then watching the superlative world-class hockey that goes along with having the NHLers in the Olympics, hey, I have no problem in doing whatever you have to do to ensure that NHL players play in the Olympics. And if that means that NHL rinks go dark for three weeks, so be it. If it means that there's no NHL hockey for the month of February, so be it. But um, it's just it's just weird to see a schedule like this for those of us who love to watch hockey. And you get the season starting, and then all of a sudden it's like the brakes are being applied here and the avalanche are kind of cooling their jets. And, and I can't imagine, you know, for all the – I get it, you know, your chance to heal up and everything like that, but you get into a rhythm. And you talk to any NHL – or NBA player, while they hate back-to-backs, they hate back-to-backs, and they hate the four games in five nights or five games in seven nights, you know what no hockey player or basketball player will ever really complain about? If you are basically playing every other night, they're cool with that. That's the kind of rhythm that they love for a season. Every other night, we're good. We're good. So... Looking at a month of November where the uh, Avalanche get an inordinate amount of time off, I don't know how much it really helps. Now, you give me a schedule like this in in Febu- in a normal hockey season, non-Olympic hockey season, and you give me this kind of schedule in February. Oh, sign me up. Talk about a chance to kind of rest up and uh, get over the dog days of the season. But November, you want to play, right? You want to play. You're, you're, you're fresh. Let's go. But uh, the Avs and Avs fans having to kind of chill. But don't worry. Don't worry. When the uh, calendar flips to uh, December, 
the Avalanche are going to be a busy. And uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll see them challenge. They got a lot of road games coming up starting the day after Thanksgiving. They'll play a stretch. And uh, excuse me here while I do the uh, the math right on the, the top of my head. But they will play uh, 3, 6, 7, 9, 11, 11 out of 14, 11 out of 15 games, 16 games, 11 out of 16 on the road, basically between the day after Thanksgiving and through the new year. So December's coming, a lot of hockey's coming, big challenge for the Avs as a lot of those games will be out on the road. So uh, enjoy the homestand, enjoy these home games, and enjoy the chance to kind of uh, hope that the Avalanche can get healthy Uh, while they're not playing a lot of games here in the month of November. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my pal, Millennial Ben, for putting all this together. Enjoy your hockey this week, Avalanche fans. We'll be back again next week to talk about the uh, biggest issues surrounding the Avalanche. We'll do that again coming up next week.